0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the SCU Buzz podcast. I'm Blake Skuse, and today we'll be looking at climate change and its impact on children. From youth-led protests to advocacy, young people are at the forefront of the climate movement. But how can we effectively engage with them about this in schools? Joining me is the Executive Dean of Faculty of Education at Southern Cross University, Professor Amy Carter Mackenzie-Knowles, and Senior Lecturer in Creative Education at RMIT University, Dr David Russell. Amy and David have recently launched their book, Post-Human Research Play Spaces, Climate Child Imaginaries, which offers insights into the challenges and opportunities of teaching children about climate change. Now, welcome to the podcast, Amy and David. How are you both today?
1: Great. Thanks. Thanks for having us.
0: Good. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having us on the podcast. Yeah. No worries at all. It was, I looked at a lot of your research from both of you lately to prep for this podcast and there's just a lot of amazing things you've both done recently. And I just, I want to dive straight in basically and say, you know, start off with, you could tell us a little bit about our both yourselves. Amy, do you like to start first?
1: Sure. Sure you know, a bit about me in terms of who I am and what I do. I'm a primary secondary teacher, so secondary science. Um, uh, I've got two kids, Lily and Finley, and I I live in the hinterland of the Gold Coast. But as a teacher, I've always been really passionate about children and young people and honouring childhood. But i am also, I'm very passionate about the environment. So for me, bringing those two things together has what has been essentially the essence of my career. And for the last decade, I've been very focused on climate change in children and and climate change education.
0: Thank you, Amy. And David, a little bit about yourself as well.
2: Sure. So um, I also um, have worked as a secondary teacher in schools, but before that I was an artist um, for a long time and also had a long uh, standing engagement with sustainability as a practice. So um, my family and I built a house off grid long ago and had an artist studio and worked uh, really, um, you know, to grow food and, and do things like that. And I think that experience has really informed how I've come to my research and my approach to education, which really brings kind of creativity together with sustainability thinking practice. And it is I also have two kids. Um, I think that's uh, really informed my you know thinking and approach about childhood and youth, um, and really engaging with children and young people in ways that value their perspectives and their um, unique uh, understandings and orientations towards the world. So yeah, I, I live in um, in inner north Melbourne now, but you know it's still it's still a very green city. So and there, there's a lot to do in, in urban spaces as well around ideas. Fantastic. It's great to
0: hear that you both have the background in education too, because uh, me myself, I'm uh, still a student at Southern Cross University, and I'm uh, about to enter my final year for crime primary education. So it's going to be great today to just pick your brains.
1: Oh, well, you're welcome.
0: Um, I'll jump into the first question today. And basically, I'd just like to know, um, the two of you have co-authored the the recently launched book, post-human research play spaces, Climate Child uh, Imaginaries. Can you explain, please, what the book is about and what you hope people take away from it, please? Amy, if you'd like to go first?
1: Sure. Well, I might set the context. So David and I, um, we started working together now, David, I think about over a decade ago. I was actually David's PhD supervisor, which was even longer ago. And anyway, we were working on this project, Climate Change and Me, and the it was funded by the New South Wales Environmental Trust. And it was working with 135 young people, essentially about their voices in climate and climate change. But it was more than that. I mean, that was a big phase in itself. We did research with children and young people for over 18 months and and they were in the roles as as researchers. But then we actually moved into other spaces of where we did a a public exhibition with those young people that moved around libraries. Um, We also co-designed a curriculum which is still being used in schools today, particularly uh, in the Northern Rivers but across Australia as well, and a host of other things we did together but in terms of of what we did and what this book is about it's that journey and and in essence perhaps if a researcher wanted to create that type of research play space or environment in really capturing young people's voices in climate change but at the same time it also is very much rooted in well what are what do young people think about climate change what do they think about what education should be in that space and research? So if it takes it into why is it called climate child imaginaries, it takes it into these new spaces and thinking, well, what climate education should be, which isn't necessarily, I know some people think, well, climate change education, isn't that just about teaching about global warming and climate science? That's one part of it. However, it's much, much more than that because- anything in science has culture wrapped all around it, including, and especially indigenous culture. So it's taking it in other spaces as well, hence the imaginary. But over to you, David, to, to put your take on it.
2: Well, that was an amazing summary, Amy. Um, there's not too much to add, but um, I guess I would mention as well that, you know, we do really engage a lot with philosophy in the book as well. and. You know, again, sometimes you know people think of philosophy as kind of really um, high, you know, highbrow or kind of universal thinking or something. But the way we approach it in the book is very much more a kind of practice, um, a practice of, of thinking in open ways with other people. In this case, thinking with children um, around their philosophies of climate and education and what it means to learn, their relationships with. Um, animals and plants and the more than human world um, so this kind of touches as well on the uh, post-human part of of the title um, which uh, again you know it, it doesn't necessarily mean something that comes after humans um, but rather um, a ways ways of thinking that come uh, where we don't only center humans um in in how we think about the world and um, that's really a, a way of thinking that, that emerged um, you know, not, not as something that we necessarily brought into the project, but something that emerged from our work with children um, in terms of the kinds of thinking and the kinds of practices, including creative practices, uh, learning and teaching practices that, that include the non-human or the more than human in how we live and think and, and, and make our way in the world. I
0: also do like as well how both you have mentioned that there's um, more of a child focus on this climate change uh, book as well, which is great because they truly are the next step in this process of trying to help um, change what we know about climate change and make positive uh, changes as we go forward. So that also brings me to asking what changes would you like to see implemented in schools to kind of push this, uh, address this further?
1: So for us, in terms of what kind of changes we'd like to see in schools, it's schools are firstly there are so many schools across Australia doing amazing things in climate change and and the work that these young people have done over this period really represents that and and it really comes down to what David was just saying before that climate change education, at its heart, and in my opinion, really is about how we as a, as a species, as a human race, relate to and interconnect with nature, uh, because it's all about that relationship. And, you know, I can point to uh, lots of schools all over Australia, lots of uh, environmental education centres doing amazing work in that space. But where I think we need to push further as a whole of education system, and this isn't just schools, I'm talking about policy curriculum, is that decentering of humans, which is what David also talked about, is that uh, where the environment isn't, for instance, something for, for humans just to consume or it's here for us it's important to put it in the context of the history of the universe, noting that the universe is 13.4 billion years old and the earth is 4.5 billion years old. So it's humans in that respect have only existed for a short amount of time. And putting that in the context of the history of the environment, when you draw upon indigenous philosophies too around uh, deep time, I find young people... Are very receptive to it, and in fact, in fact, drawn to it in terms of understanding that and that relationship. So it's a, in terms of going back to your original original question about what needs to be not needs to happen, I think we need to see a greater and greater shift in that fundamental question around well, what is education for, and noting that we've got a planet at the moment that is getting hotter year on year we are in an absolute climate crisis. So in that sense, the education has to respond to that. It's it's critical that it responds to that. And at present, to give it some context, in Australia, we have no climate change education policy uh, for as a nation. In fact, our last policy was in terms of environmental education was from 2009. And so even when you when you say you know what needs to happen it's a whole of education sector we need to see climate change education policy we need to see climate change education carefully integrated within the national curriculum there's so much work to do from so many sectors that it's not just a it's it's not just an issue where you say okay this is another thing for schools to do it's a whole of sector shift and it does, in my mind, come back to the core purposes of of schooling, and the core purposes of what it is to be human. But over to you, David.
2: <laughs> oh, that's a wonderful response, Amy, and I, I really agree with that. Yeah, system system wide transformation. Um, I think you know what our research and and the the work we we uh, discuss in the book really shows is that uh, intergenerational Collaboration can actually drive this kind of change. So, you know, certainly on the one hand, it is uh, simply perhaps a case of actually listening to children and young people in schools and and giving them more agency over their own learning process in relation to climate change and uh, just about everything else that they that they engage with. Um, but teachers and and policymakers and and educational leaders are are equally implicated or in, involved in that. Process of transformation as well, and so really, what I think our work shows is that um, there are really, you know, evidence-based approaches and tools for doing this intergenerational work, and we can see now, you know, we've reconnected, or we've been in touch with them really the whole time, but reconnected for the launch with uh, some of the uh, young people who worked with us as children, and now ten years on. Um, you know, we're still in a in a collaborative relationship with them. That's the kind of work that can actually affect change through, you know, the the relations of of care around learning and and exchange of ideas uh, over time and across generations. And I think that's that's that sort of trans or intergenerational knowledge sharing is really broken within the educational system as it's configured at the moment. I completely agree. Oh, sorry, Amy.
1: Mm. I was just going to say, if I could just rip off David for a minute, I couldn't agree more. And particularly in the context of, I was thinking, David, when we recently came back with the youth researchers at the launch and and also in our other work involving children and young people, that, that they're actually really bringing together um, climate change in country where they see them wrapped around each other And so I'm talking about country in an indigenous sense and understanding climate through indigenous stories and indigenous science and looking at uh, looking at other philosophy, other science other than Western science. Um, and hence that happens in very intergenerational ways. so sorry sorry to sorry to um interrupt right
0: oh. No worries at all, Amy. What I was going to say is I completely agree with both of you and I loved how, uh, David, you said you want to listen to students more because we don't give them enough credit for what ideas they do have and Amy as well. Um, I hear what you say about the curriculum and it sounds like there does need to be a bit of a tweak.
1: Or maybe a transformation, perhaps even a revolution.
0: I also wanted to ask too is we know that children are very passionate about climate change and we've seen that through the massive school strike for climate events across Australia and the rest of the world. Can you tell me about the Climate Change and ME project and what sort of uh, creative responses to climate change you've
1: received from children through that, please? You want to go first, David, and then I'll jump on.
2: Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's it's really been interesting for us uh, witnessing the rise of uh, the youth climate activist movement around, you know, 20, 2018 and then kind of peaking in 2019 because, you know, we started working with, uh, children and young people around these ideas in 2014 and I think a little bit earlier than that as well. And I guess we w- approached that from a really open-ended creative uh, space where really it was just an invitation for uh, children and young people who were just from um, schools across the region. So they they weren't necessarily activists. They weren't self-selected as environmental um, stewards or Custodians—they were just kids from schools, right? And so that I think that was important that we started um, at that time historically, because um, of course there's a lot of work now about the school strikes, particularly because the the mass media picked it up and um, it's had such an impact globally. So people, everyone wants to know what the climate activists are thinking and doing, and so on. But I think it's important that our project just started with kind of everyday kids at everyday schools and ask the question, you know, how would you express your understanding and, and experience of climate change through any kind of creative means? And, you know, in the sense of the collaboration I was discussing before, we didn't just kind of turn them loose um, and, and let them do anything they wanted. We supported their their ideas. So we gave them, uh, we nurtured their skills. So whether they wanted to draw, they wanted to make films, or they wanted to create photographs and then write about the photographs. You know, those were all processes that, you know, emerged and were cultivated and developed in a collective way through through the project. And I think that what that allowed was for us to get a really authentic sense of what, you know, and I, I kind of use this in the in the affirmative sense, like everyday kids were, were feeling and experiencing about climate change. You know, I think it would be a very different project to kind of target a certain category of young people who have already, you know, committed to something or selected something, um, yeah, I think that that openness just to, you know, kids who, you know, had maybe not thought much about it at all, but then went through a process of of learning and discovery that we as researchers were able to learn from, um, rather than us coming in with the answers or or an idea already about who or what kind of kids we wanted to to engage with, so. Yeah, I think that openness, the kind of spontaneity of the um, the participation in in the the project, gave it that real authenticity.
1: Would you like me to jump in, Blake, in response to your question as well? Yes, if you could please, Amy,
0: uh, follow up on that as well, Blake. Sure.
1: So, and and the question was specifically around. what creative responses to climate change that we've really received through the process, and when I think about that, and I'll, I'm, I'm thinking David about like the speculative fiction that that Jasmine and and she's an adult and gives permission to use her name that, and we've written with Jasmine as well. So Jasmine wrote a speculative fiction when she was just 13 about um, the future of climate and the future of the planet. And that took all sorts of interesting directions. So not only the speculative fiction itself, but then those those characters, so she created these avatars and we then utilised those avatars with her and with the rest of the children and young people in creating essentially a climate change profiler. So what this does is allows you to go through and answer different questions and then it tells you what climate change avatar you are, which is essentially what climate tra- what climate profile you are, and that's linked to Jasmine's characters within her speculative fiction, which also, as it happens, align very neatly with different perspectives on climate to you can imagine um, – From absolute denial right through to uh, absolute positivity and hopeful for a a transformative future to those who are just, who are worried and don't know what to do, uh, you name it. So they were some of the creative resources that young people created. And in this case, and that's just one of many examples that's still being used in curriculum and out in schools because it, it allows you in a research sense, to get a bit of a baseline or a foundation of, okay, so where is my class sitting or where is my whole school sitting in terms of their perspectives on on climate change? And it's something then um, that young people can then recheck in on. Even students at SCU do our um, what's your climate change avatar in part of their learning in, in education. So again, you can see some of these creative resources that young people created now, what, David, like eight years ago or something, are still being utilised. And we've got other examples too of um, videos and photographs and all sorts of things, uh, it's in- including exhibition artefacts that they created. They created an entire photo montage made of... Um, photos and and they used beeswax to encost the photos and as as some of your listeners might know that beeswax is is actually the oldest way to encost a photo and and preserve the photo or an image for that matter not just a photo and it it dates back to the Egyptians and they use this method because they linked it directly with deep time and wanting these images to last thousands of years And again, another example of lasting resources, as well as, of course, the Climate Change in Me curriculum they created as well, um, we'll or co-designed with David and I.
0: I absolutely love that, Amy. And I'd love to hear that there's more different ways of implementing this towards children and getting them more involved in that, which is fantastic. And I would also like to know, how do you balance alleviating climate anxiety for children while also empowering them to take action to better the environment.
1: That's a really great question, and it's it's a fine line. And we know that um, a lot of anxiety can be provoked around climate change. And what we've found, though, is where children and young people are researchers, and where they deepen their knowledge, um, not only of climate change itself, but and coming from different vantage points, meaning Western science, indigenous science, but they're also, what I mean, is really researching their own perspectives and the perspectives of their communities, that that in itself, that knowledge production, and then turns into a knowledge exchange as well, really helps in alleviating uh, anxieties because they're, they're in a seat or position of empowerment. And what I mean it by empowerment is in these projects, they're creating real resources, real curriculum, real policy that then goes on to have real change and impact. So I think to me where there's that agency at the centre of it, that very much helps to alleviate anxieties. Whereas if it was just a, this is the, the current state of the environment, this is where we're at in geological time, meaning the Anthropocene, and then you stopped flat there, that would be very anxiety provoking. But but that's really not what we do. We're really getting into, like David said before, what children and young people's voices are, and then um giving them a platform, if you like, to be able to enact that. David, your thoughts? Yeah, I
2: absolutely agree. And I, I, I feel like another another aspect that could be, you know, is often anxiety provoking is that sense that um, that this this is all comes down to problem solving and here's here's all here's all the problems and now you've got to solve them I mean I think that is really what puts people into a state of panic that that this must be solved and it must be practically solved like in, in concrete terms rather than you know what we did in the project which was really, Showing that there's so many things we can do, you know, and and really diversifying climate change beyond just um, a kind of rationalist approach that just looks at you know really reductive kind of problem solving, looking at statistics and numbers and and trying to calculate how to you know solve the problem. Um, you know, rather, what we're trying to do is open up this incredible diversity of practices that give agency to children and young people and and adults. Um, you know, teachers, researchers, people from all walks of life, really, in terms of what you can do, and that includes thinking. Importantly, it includes feeling. Um, it includes the kind of internal. And, and, and external dynamics of how we make our way in the world and and finding ways of of caring um and exchanging knowledge I, I think that that really brings joy to the process rather than anxiety because you're involved with a relational process with other people and with with the world really and engagement with the world and yeah i think that that's something that really came through in the project that you know, it's it's much more than just trying to solve a problem. That's completely true because I can see
0: how talking about this information can seem daunting and anxiety-filled, but there are ways to show people that, you know, there is a positive, there are ways to combat this, which you are both doing, which is great. And I think there's even further steps to go as we move forward.
1: Yeah, and I think that creative process... Um it's particularly powerful in coming at those anxieties and how you manage that as a person, but as a community as well. And we've seen that as a powerful tool again um, because it, it puts you in the driver's seat some, somewhat rather than, and as David said, it's not about being in the driver's seat to then suddenly solve this problem um, because it's the problem is enormous. But at the same time, it's very local as well, very self-driven. So it's about where you, um, where and how you come at that as a person and as a community, uh, rather than thinking you've got to solve it for the whole world. It's it's within your own realm, and I think the creative process, it, it takes you to the self in that sense because the child or the young person they're the researcher. And they're researching their own lives and the lives of other young people because they're the best people to do that because they're experts on being young people. I
0: could not agree more, Amy. You've hit the nail on the head there. I will also ask both of you, um, you both recently um, held a book launch in Melbourne with a panel of uh, intergenerational speakers. How did that go?
1: Yeah, that was incredible. We actually had... um, young people who were a part of the original project so from the original climate change and me project noting David and I have done many projects since as well as you know, projects in train at the moment and so having those young people there who are now anywhere from 18 19 to early 20s and hearing their perspectives and it was incredible to because the, the panel was made up of myself and David and, and Dr. Eve Mays, who's also an active climate change researcher in education and childhood, as well as young people who were on this project, but some who are on Eve's um, project, who Eve's doing a, a DECRA in this space. And so hearing their perspectives on their perspectives from when they were the younger, um, was incredible, and 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 actually, we're going to write a piece about that, an intergenerational piece of of looking back but looking forward again on that that earlier work together. So bringing us together, which is, I guess, also a uh, thinking around. We did this research now nearly a decade ago that the impact it has on children and young people's lives. That and they talked about that. They talked about not only the topic itself which was influential to some extent in the careers that they then embarked on but coming at it with a very much with a research inquiring mind is is something that I very much picked up on that 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 experience um you know when we we talk about an environmental education significant life experiences and and to hear that from them that for them that's what that's what that project had been. It went over three years, so it was a big chunk of time and it stayed with them and and influenced who they are and what more could you ask for in that regard for a project to have that sort of impact in climate change on young people.
0: Exactly right. You want to hear a lot more of these positives coming out of these events, which is fantastic. And how about yourself, David? What did you think about the event?
2: It was just such a meaningful experience. Um, firstly, as Amy said, to, to reconnect and 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 spend time with uh, those young people who had worked with us um, and and contributed their work to the to the project. Uh, it was also amazing because it took place um, in a, a curated exhibition in Melbourne, which featured their work as well alongside uh, works of. Very established artists and designers and architects from different fields um, all around um, the thematic of wild hope and conversations with four planetary Com- commons, which you know fit the project beautifully. So it really felt like kind of the stars aligned for that event, and and everything just came together in a way that yeah you could just really feel the sense of uh, connection and and yeah joy really in in the room. Um, while also, you know, the sense of, of the kind of critical work and the, the undertaking that, that, that everyone on the project uh, has contributed to. Uh, that really struck me in terms of reconnecting uh, with these young people all these years on was just what incredibly uh, critical and creative thinkers they are. Um, and, you know, so interesting to see them going out into many different fields, like from the creative industries to engineering to psychology and, and other other areas, um, but carrying that um, real uh, capacity to think and to create um, new ways of, of orientating and engaging with the world. That is you know, really what all we could sort
0: of hope for in a project like this. That's fantastic to hear, David. And it's been great as well to hear about uh, what you've both accomplished uh, to date and what you've uh, gone through while also doing this uh, book launch but I would like to know, what is next for both of you?
1: Well, for me, um, what's next? Well, David and I have, have now been working in this space for a long time and I feel like we're, although it's been a long time, we're really just getting started. So some of the things that are on the horizon are doing more substantive national and international work in, in children and climate, um and particularly thinking around those concepts of climate and country. Uh, we've got an international research handbook in in climate and children on the horizon as well, um, which <laughs> David I'm hoping will join me on, um, as the one of the co editors. And other than that, um, a, a localised project that we're doing is called Floods and Me, and that's working, which is, as we know, a, a climate crisis event, and we're working with children and young people in capturing their flood stories, and um, and it, it's a slow process, as it should be, it needs the time. Uh, the time needs to be afforded to capture those stories with young people and go through that research process. Um, but where we will land once the research comes to a close is we'll be working with them to co design an exhibition and an education framework, too, in thinking about, well, what's in the lessons we've learned um, from the perspective of young people given the increasing number of events that we're seeing, whether it's floods or bushfires. So that's a little bit of the work we're doing in this space. But David, over to you as well.
2: Sure. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, this it has been fantastic collaborating on the floods in the project as well. And, you know, this sense of a shift towards, you know, work that is directly responsive to climate impacts. So, you know, rather than just about what's going to happen, sort of what is or has just happened and you know how can children and young people and and education researchers be responsive um to that and and to actually create new frameworks and ways of um you know responding educationally to uh, the impacts of of climate disaster events so that's that's definitely a shift i think in, in our work um i guess you know being based in in melbourne um as well there's kind of a growing interest uh, in my work around the city and and kind of how we might rethink the city um, and the kind of many different ways of learning in the city, the kind of what we might call the learning city or the learning infrastructures of urban spaces. Um, And yeah, this kind of connecting to questions around urban planning and children and young people's uh, voice and agency around climate in those spaces, as well as, um, I have a, a lot of interest in working with museums around their collections and, and kind of their um, pedagogies and learning environments that could also be mobilized uh, for climate uh, research and education um, in, in the ways that, that we've explored too. So yeah, always you know, different, different contexts and, and different areas where this work can grow and um, find, find new ways of impacting and uh, mobilizing change. That's great
0: to hear from both of you. And I'm especially intrigued about the floods and me uh, because I know a lot of people who were affected by the floods in recent years. So it would be good to, you know, hear their stories and hear how we could hopefully prevent stuff like that happening later on or maybe even uh, knowing better ways of, you know, helping people who may be affected by that stuff. So I am very intrigued to see that go forward.
1: Well um there's still opportunities for young people to be involved in that so um, if you are interested reach out to me and it's children ages five to to 17 so we are still recruiting but we're we're getting ready to go shortly in terms of the actual research training process and um, working with those young researchers but um, I think there'll be lots of, Lessons to learn from young people around education responses, in particular, and and that's an area that I think would really benefit the education sector in learning from those experiences as well.
0: Absolutely, Amy, I couldn't agree more, and I hope more people do reach out because the more voices heard, the better. Um, before we do go today, because it's been great to talk to both you, and I, I really could just do another few hours talking to both you and picking your brains especially being involved in education, so maybe uh, perhaps another podcast uh, down the line. But before we do go, I would like to ask, where can people read um, your book, Post-Human Research, Play Spaces, Climate Child Imaginaries?
1: Well, it's on the Rutledge. uh, It's a Rutledge book, so they can access it via Rutledge. Um, But there's lots of our other works as well online. If you're wanting anything for free too, there are, articles and so if you search either one of us they'll they'll come up we also have a website climate change and me so there's work there as well but you can uh, listeners could re- could download or buy and download the ebook or the soft cover book which is quite affordable from rutledge as well
0: amazing well thank you so much today both um amy and david for coming on and uh, talking And I hope this has been eye-opening for a lot of our listeners today too.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
2: Thanks a lot, Blake.
0: I'd like to acknowledge the traditional lands that this podcast was recorded on and extend my respects to elders, both past and present.